The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. BWB, this is One Nation Radio. You better get it right. Rich Ladder James Boyd came to give him life. The Blackest Wrestling Podcast has come to kick all ass and drop it six feet if they're kicking trash. Word, let me welcome y'all to something different. And if you dig it, man, you should let some friends listen. We be getting it in. This on the regular, dude. Ravish and flow, but this shit rule. See, James don't rap, so I had to break it down. The whole network, man, we coming for the crown. Raps in the columns, I keep them both covered. Making the beats too, so the listeners can bump it. Hit us with the rating, yeah, I'm saying it's a five. Before you hit a talk, bob your head side to side. It's One Nation Radio, and this is the beginning. It's Rich, and I'm here with James. It's time to listen to One Nation. The power of This is Mike Sempervivi from WrestlingObserver.com. Check me out on Wrestling Observer Live every day. And also check out your boys, Rich and James, on One Nation Radio. Uh, This is Kenny Omega. We're listening to One Nation Radio. Check it out, guys. These guys know what's up. Big Kenny Omega fans. My name is Richard Latta, and this is One Nation Live. I am live on Facebook.com at the moment in the Wrestling Square Circle Facebook group, which you will see below this video. Um, we are checking it. We got a lot to talk about today. Um, the Money in the Bank build. We got CM Punk and all the fan uh, fallout from his trial, as well as his UFC fight. Of course, we have New Japan Dominion, as well as news on what's going on with Shawn Michaels. Something I heard this week. I don't know if this necessarily needs to happen, but... Let's get it popping at the top of the uh, deal. So, um, obviously, in the books is Dominion that went down uh, 3 a.m. Saturday night, uh, East Coast Standard Time, obviously regular time in Japan, quite possibly the greatest wrestling card to ever take place in recorded history. Um, Definitely the best one I've ever seen, uh, topped with Okada and Omega blowing their three matches um, from last year away and creating something I didn't know existed. Um, Plenty of times I've watched uh, great matches and be like, wow, that match is really great. This one, I knew it was really great. And I was unsure if we would ever, ever see anything better. This um, deal with Okada and Omega here. Omega won the IWGP Championship. I don't know if... (laughs) Like I said, I don't know if we're ever going to see anything again. I believe it's the greatest match to ever take place in the history of wrestling. For me, this match was like the Golden State Warriors of last year, what they did in their three-match rivalry, uh, being a 73-win team, and this match was them adding Kevin Durant to it. And this is quite you know timely because they just ran off their second NBA title in a row. I'm fully expecting six and a half or even seven stars in the Wrestling Observer newsletter, and I wouldn't get mad at either. Um, you shouldn't either <laughs> because if you have not seen it, it was a pure masterpiece piece um midway through the second fall i felt like i was watching the greatest match i had ever seen if they just both fell um down and you know pinned each other from that point going forward um these guys have upped the level in professional wrestling in a way i didn't know was possible i thought you know them breaking the sport one time was enough they did it again i can't overstate um, and ask and implore you guys to check this match out for yourself. 
please check out the other matches as well. Uh, it might take you a little while. They're not short matches, but you will. I've never felt more alive. I, I told somebody um, when I was watching this match, I was watching it with uh, Jeremy and Josh from Keeping It Strong Style. What up to them? And we were jumping around uh, their living room at the Strong Style Dojo, and we were in pure absolute bliss because not only was it Kenny Omega reaching the mountaintop finally it was Okada being a great 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 let me understand state this and say this again great heavyweight champion the best that we've ever seen in our lives and him submitting a performance that capped off the best title reign that we might ever see with our two eyes. He's 30 years old. Don't know. You know, sometimes guys get better in their mid-30s. Sometimes, you know, they don't. And the deal with uh, Okada, I think you can only point at maybe two matches in his entire reign that you felt weren't, like, all-time classics or, like, match of the year candidates. And that would be the Fale defense and the Evil defense. And those were still... Um, you know, four-star matches, a little bit above that. Uh, but what Okada got to do, he got to pretty much hand the belt off to this guy. And I think the way Omega framed it in the post-match promo was like, you know, Okada, you, you've taken us as far as you can take us, essentially. Like, uh, with New Japan, uh, you know, domestic business and everything like that. From here, like, the world is now the stage. And, you know, the choice for the world is Kenny Omega. And... You know, I'm sure Okada will still enjoy his spot near the um, top of the mountain, but it's going to be interesting now because Okada held the belt for two years, and some people only know Okada as champion. Um, some people, you know, have sworn off New Japan until he loses the title. Well, the time is here, and I would have been fine if Omega lost because obviously Okada's still great. You know, I would have preferred Omega to win, and don't get it twisted, I was happy he won. But Okada's nothing to sneeze at either. Like, these these are the two guys that are literally changing the game in ways that I didn't know was possible. And all I can do is just thank them for, for giving us all, like, fans that moment. And then when the Elite came out there with Kota Ibushi, the birth of the Golden Elite was definitely one of those moments in wrestling and being a wrestling fan that I will never, ever, ever forget. Um, we don't talk about New Japan as much on this show. I may just have to because the way things are going domestically, it's like, you know, it's not kosher. And the way Dominion was, like, I'm pretty sure, you know, now I've heard uh, from, from some other folks that have been like All Japan and Noah shows that were on that level, but, you know, I didn't see those. So... Um, this for my money right here, like the production value, the, um, great matches, the character investments, the long-term storytelling, this is what professional wrestling is all about. And this is how, um, you know, it makes people feel the way it makes people feel. That's what really stands out and makes it special like that. Um, so Let's go through the card a little bit before we um, continue. Uh, we obviously had the classic of all classics with Omega and Okada. Uh, Kenny Omega win the IWGP title. As I mentioned earlier, the Young Bucks joined him after the match. Uh, they won the IWGP Tag Team Championships along with Kota Ibushi was there. So if you're talking about stables, I think that's like one of the best ones we've ever seen. Uh, right up there, <laughs> like the Young Bucks, Kota Ibushi, and Kenny Omega. I don't really know what was better than that. Um, 
From there, we saw Chris Jericho um, win the IWGB Intercontinental title in an absolute shocker over Tetsuya Naito. Uh, I actually did a prediction video for this, and I forgot to give my prediction, but yes, Jericho is now the champion. And it's strange, because this guy shows up a completely new character, a completely new like kind of feel around him much more dangerous much more violent and aggressive but he's on another level and he's literally adding to his legacy and making the case for being one of the 10 greatest wrestlers we've ever seen he's only getting better with age i told y'all in that video jericho could work in new japan and he showed it once again as i thought that could have been a five-star match as well with naito um a straight crazy ass brawl if you've ever seen one jericho in full um lunatic mode bruiser brody style stan hansen but as like a, a 5'9 510 you know 225 30 pound guy um he jumped this dude from the entrance uh naito came out there fresh to death in the suit but it just wasn't enough he um he was, uh, you know, he dropped that belt to, to Jericho, and it's like, wow, that's kind of shocking. So this means a couple things. Obviously, we're going to get Jericho in New Japan again, and he's going to be a part of the company going forward um, for at least, you know, the the foreseeable future. And it looks like they set up with something with Evil and Jericho. Definitely might um, be interested in that. Maybe it can bring Evil up to that level. Uh, but we're probably going to get Naito and Jericho again. Uh, now, they beat Naito again. This is, he lost, obviously, at Wrestle Kingdom. He lost here. Some people are like, what does this mean for Naito? This match here is... This gets Naito over to the Western audience the way that he was over or is over in the Japanese audience. So, this will be the ticket for him, you know, to, to basically what Okada essentially got from omega now naito is going to get that from jericho i feel like so um in this program he just happened to have to lose a match so um from there i don't think he's killed or anything but he uh definitely took an ass whooping so uh and i believe it was my boy james who had to quote quote about 10 minutes in he looked like uh one of the continue screens on street fighter where they're counting 10 9 8 and you know you got the guy and he has all the you know gauze and blood and everything else on his face and all that but make sure you guys check that match out another match obviously Hiromu Takahashi and Will Ospreay absolutely testing the limits of safety of uh daredevilism everything about you know one of the early spots in the match was Will Ospreay running about 30 yards down the ramp running all the way down and uh, somersaulting over and falling on a Hiromu Takahashi and him, you know, having so much force and so much, you know, um, you know, velocity that he flipped again after he hit this guy. And, you know, the match was crazy. Another five-star match. So, yes, that's like three or two five-star matches as well as an over five that's probably going to definitely be six. And also, maybe if something crazy happens, it can get a seven. So, um, from there, we had the Young Bucks capturing the IWGB titles from Evil and Sonata in one of the best tag team matches I've ever seen. Ridiculous storytelling, ridiculous moves, blowaway sequences with um, selling and also yanking the table from underneath you thinking you're gonna see one thing and something else totally coming you know and blindsiding you so if you guys have not seen dominion i recommend those top four matches 
more than you know anything that I can ever recommend you in wrestling because this was the show, not of the year, but maybe of a lifetime. And it's strange because the Young Bucks, I thought they were like just a cool act a couple years ago, but these guys have unquestionably, in my mind, become one of the greatest tag teams of all time, right up there with whoever, whoever. So, shouts out to the Bucks um, doing their thing and and coming through. So, um, it looks like we got some comments here. My man Omar says, seven-star match. I'm watching it now while I tune in. Miguel is saying, preach, my brother. Uh, Simon is saying he's done it in July. In your opinion, Fozzie resumes tour on July 12, five days after the G1 special in San Francisco. So, yeah, while you say that, uh, he has the IWGP Intercontinental title now. He probably will defend it in San Francisco, and then Jericho's not going to be in the G1 anyway. So when I was watching that with uh, Jeremy and Josh, uh, shouts out to those guys again if you guys haven't heard. Um, this, it was it was really smart for a couple reasons. Because now, if Jericho gets that belt, he can defend it in San Francisco. He can still win, and you remove that belt from the G1, so it's kind of like less protection in a sense for guys and they can kind of book you know in a certain way while Jericho has that IC title and he could be waiting for someone on the other side at either King of Pro Wrestling or even Wrestle Kingdom so you're gonna get Jericho for another couple matches and if you know anything about Jericho New Japan now he is on another level like I've never seen right now so uh shouts out to Y2J the great Chris Jericho I remember uh, always riding for Jericho when he first came back in WWE in 2012. Like, yo, this dude has been an all-time legend all over. And all he's done this decade is reinvent himself, come out with new shit, and stay compelling, and also get these fucking checks. Chris Jericho, Vanessa of the Year, getting a belt from another company, getting checks from multiple companies, having people come on a cruise uh, podcast. I believe he was on the Drop the Mic Rap Battle show. So, yes, Chris Jericho is not only like a do-it-yourself pioneer and idol of mine, like <laughs> just like the Young Bucks, uh, but he is one of unquestionably one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. And I think that he's just incredible. Um, what up, Ricky? Uh, Simon says he's wearing his Kenny Omega Bullet Club shirt in honor of the new champion. Mine is in the room right now. I wore it yesterday, and I was wearing it while I was watching the match. Uh, right now, I'm in the Colin Kaepernick jersey for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> that's also my dog. So, um, Ricky says, two things. I can be your friend if you keep the brawn hate going. Two, can Jericho lay claim to being the greatest of all time? Now, when you say the greatest of all time, it's like... There's so many things that make that up. You've got to take into account wrestling ability. I feel like you have to take uh, into account drawing power. You have to take account in you know into account like championship history. Like how long were you the man? And I don't think Jericho ever was that, but he was under just under the level of being the man. So in my opinion, and this may sound crazy, right? I look at him on a level exactly as the Undertaker or higher. Now, not Cena, Rock, Austin, that level, but any the next level below it, he has a great argument as being number one as like a secondary kind of draw for a long, long time is anybody. You know, 
So it, it'll be interesting to see how Jericho's career plays out, how long he keeps wrestling. If he does this style in New Japan, he can do it forever because it's brawling, but he can still mix enough of the wrestling in there to hang uh, in that environment and also like make guys while either winning or losing to them because Jericho understands one thing and it's how to get over. He's gotten over everywhere he's been. Remember, he has war style. He has CMLL style. He has WCW style. He has WWE style. He has New Japan style. He has Chris Jericho style. So, shouts out to the man, the living legend, uh, no Larry Sabisco, Chris Jericho. Um, yeah, the rest of the show from there, the undercard, we had the uh, the dream tag team of Tanahashi teaming up with Liger and Rey Mysterio against Cody's girl and Paige. Cody's girl and Paige came out with the victory. Uh, nice, solid six-man tag. Uh, and that match kind of foreshadowed what we would see later with um, o- or Cody coming out after Omega won the title. Small tease. Cody didn't officially challenge. But if, you know, you've been watching New Japan... It seems like we're going towards it. Uh, Cody, once again, getting tangled with Kenny Omega. Hopefully, they can have the match that I want them to have this time and not draw it down into the muck. But from there, uh, Michael Elgin was down a a ton of weight, and he won the Never Open Weight Championship um, against uh, Taichi and Haruki Goto in a better-than-expected match. Uh, I wasn't really, you know, high on Taichi or anything like that, but... Uh, and I've also famously called Goto Goto. Like, yeah, he's just Goto. Um, but he definitely came to play. And Elgin dropped weight, super tan, new gear. Uh, my boy Josh immediately knew when he had new gear, he's getting a belt. Um, the best brawl on the show was definitely between Minoru Suzuki and Tomohiro Ishii, who let each other have it after the match. Um, Zack Sabre Jr. tapped out Toriano for them to win, but after the match was a... <laughs> this was like a, a... This made this match like a four-star match because of the brawl afterwards. It was insane. Suzuki and Ishii will probably be facing off in Rev Pro, and I'm sure that video will be available on NewJapanWorld.com. Definitely can't wait for that. Um, of course, Juice Robinson pinned old regular-ass Jay White. Um, I've got a couple things, you know, about Jay White. You know, I've been on his ass all year for being regular, being average, being unexciting, being just a dude that has a belt now that he's dropped to a level of it not even being defended on a major show. Um, Jay White is a sandwich with no mayonnaise, waffles with no syrup, toast with no butter, wings with no sauce, peanut butter with no jelly, Cereal with no milk, a cigarette with no lighter, turkey with no gravy, and a hot dog with no bun, and hopefully he's soon a man with no championship. Uh, As Juice Robinson looks like he's going to get the next shot, Juice has all the charisma Jay White lacks, as well as most of the wrestling ability. So I would definitely like to see Juice going forward uh, getting that done. So... Uh, from there, uh, we had the the opener. Obviously, it was Show and Yo going down in defeat against Desperado and Kane tomorrow. Nice opener for the to, for them to retain the IWGP Junior Tag Team titles. If you guys have not seen this card, I implore you, please do. Okada and Omega is what I say it is. Um, one of the most legendary moments in the history of professional wrestling. So, you know, moving on. Okay, um, up next, we definitely got to talk about CM Punk. Uh, he's had quite the week, not only in the courtroom, but also in the octagon, and also, you know, splitting fans right down the middle, as you know, 
the idiots on one side and everyone else on the other. So, um, <laughs> let's start with the trial. Uh, obviously, uh, I didn't cover the trial as it was going on. I didn't really care. Um, most, most my way through it, like, I was like, whatever, uh, you know, what'll happen happens. And then I was like, let me just read some of this. So I read, I want to say the day four notes and immediately I was like, oh, this is why CM Punk didn't give, didn't want to settle. He doesn't give a fuck about going to trial. He's going to win. Like, <laughs> and if you read the notes, you saw where the doctor was like, yeah, you know, I'm violating HIPAA and texting other people about CM Punk's health condition. I felt like that's a red flag and dead giveaway. You can see which way this is going to go. Uh, I, went ahead and just kind of intermittently checked on it uh, from time to time as I would, um, you know, come across Twitter or something. They were like, oh, the verdict's today. All right. And then refresh my phone, CM Punk wins, and, you know, I pretty much laugh and, like, you know, I get my, my Z-Pack jokes on. I believe I was probably one of the first people that kind of started those. So, um, you know, I could be wrong, but I, I was on it pretty early. Um, but, you know, the people that were wanting CM Punk to lose this trial, you have to help me understand. Um, <laughs> like, this dude, Dr. Ramon, was a straight scammer. This is, like, this is nuts. So... I just have a message for, for if, if you were coming out here rooting for CM Punk to essentially lose and have to pay this scam artist this money. So, if you came out here and you were rooting for CM Punk and Coke Cabana to lose this trial, I seriously question what else you're rooting for in life. Suckers don't get to prosper. Suckers don't get to flex. And suckers don't get to win. The case was weak. And we, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We knew that a billion dollar corporation was financing a lawsuit against, you know, for some twisted revenge against one of their former employees, allegedly. You know, the doctor came in court and he wanted $1 for every stream of the podcast, which totaled, you know, nearly $4 million, $4 million, y'all. And he was legally trying to scam money like Joanne the scammer over hurt feelings. I don't know, man. This is a man that has kept his job. He is in no different, or he's in a higher position than he was in previously. And the wrestlers look at him no differently uh, backstage. And this is who y'all want to ride for. Tell me. Explain this. Just say that you're mad CM Punk defeated, you know, WWE by proxy and keep it moving. Because I can't think of a bigger way to waste people's time and, you know, their money other than making people pay to watch WWE Backlash on Infinite Loop, you know, in an empty movie theater or something like than this trial was. Uh, and under two hours, a, a jury basically unanimously ruled that CM Punk and Cabana would have to pay, like, or would not have to pay that money. And for some reason, people wanted to go online and cry about it. How big of a loser are you? Tell me. The doctor wasn't even one of the five biggest takeaways from that original podcast. Um, in my opinion, you've got CM Punk walking out before WrestleMania. You have him talking about all the part-timer shit. You have him talking about the Roman Reigns stuff. You have him going essentially his entire career in WWE knowing motherfuckers didn't like him. And then you have him essentially um, talking about being the champion but never really being made the man. And then also getting fucked out of movie parts and different stuff like that. And then you get to like the, the health stuff. <coughs> you know, so shout out to CM Punk for winning in his day in court. And But, 
you know, if you think we ain't about to talk about this UFC fight, you got another thing coming. So CM Punk fought a dude named uh, Mike, the way you make me feel Jackson. So Mike Thriller Jackson came out here and looked like one of the most amateur uh, UFC fighters that I've ever seen. And CM Punk looked worse. He looked like he didn't belong. Like he was in there untrained, essentially. He looked like a guy that watched some stuff on TV and then got in there and tried to do what he remembered. Now, this is not in any way a condemnation on the heart that it takes to get in there and do that because it takes plenty. Uh, But you don't get the cool points for chasing dreams like some may say you do uh, because if it was that easy to chase your dreams, I think everyone would do it. CM Punk happened to to be very successful in chasing another one of his dreams uh, and being, you know, a top wrestler in WWE and all that. And he's able, he can afford to chase his dreams. Not everyone can afford to chase their dreams. So maybe, you know, that's a situation where we just need to step our games up so we can afford to chase our dreams as well. But I think people are kind of unnecessarily being hard on CM Punk for this thing. Like, let's call it what it is. He didn't look good. He went the distance in a fight against a substandard fighter. I was rooting for the guy to win because I wanted to see him do well. But this was a situation where the the <laughs> the ugliness of the trial, it kind of all got repaid in fan perception, um, or some fans at least, you know, that really just have a problem with CM Punk for whatever reason. Um, obviously, you know, we've had the in, in the aftermath, we've had Corey Graves come out and start tweeting about their relationship, which I could give zero fucks about. Um, You know, apparently he has some type of smoke for CM Punk with, you know, him, quote unquote, turning his back on people. You know, as far as I read into that, that's like someone being mad that I used to work with like four years ago, being mad that I don't, you know, keep up with them on a normal basis while I'm moving on with my life. You sound corny, Corey Graves. So, um... He said this is not some type of corporate thing, which would you can take that for however you want it. But I, I, you know, those two guys got a personal relationship. It, unless CM Punk wants to talk about it and Corey Graves wants to talk about it, I'm not really like here to speculate like on those two dudes' issues. And you know, Corey Graves is challenging CM Punk to fights, and I'm like, well, if y'all want to run it, y'all can run it somewhere. But I'll be here when it happens, like. I don't know, man. I think people are... There's something about CM Punk because he's... And I was talking uh, like this with Josh um, last night. The Rock brought me back to watching wrestling. But CM Punk kept me watching wrestling. And I'll never forget him for that. So, it is weird how much people like are angry at this guy. And if you guys haven't seen it on Twitter, it's like, you know, how Twitter works and the algorithms, you start seeing tweets from people you don't even follow on, on, on your shit sometimes. So if you follow a couple people, their activity essentially gets into your timeline. So I, my mind's blown on, you know, all this stuff that's been coming out um, and all that. So let me read a couple of these comments because for some reason they're not refreshing live on the laptop. So I got the phone here. Um, so Kyle Moore says, Goto is so trash. Jay White is rolling papers with no weed. That's a great one. Um, Omar said he is. 
Uh, Omar says, CM Punk looked like the losing image of Ryu on Street Fighter 2. That's great. Dan Coffin says, CM Punk lost to a soup can. Yes, he did. Um, but yeah, man, like, the dude went in there, you know, I'm not trying to get no UFC K's, so there's only so much I can clown. You know, all I can say is, hey, it didn't look to the standard of what I know UFC to be. And it looked like he needs to either, you know, he's definitely not going to be in UFC again. He either needs to go to some, like, lower-level leagues or just, you know, take his money and, and live his life and, you know, draw some comics, start a podcast. People would love to hear from CM Punk. People love CM Punk. This is a guy that... Fans are literally, like, chanting and begging this guy. Like, he's getting his name chanted every week still. So, there's still, like, a lot of people that care about this guy. So, it'll be interesting to see how it all goes. Um, I think that, um, you know, people just need to be a lot nicer uh, all the way around. So, uh, but I ain't got no time for losers and, you know, scammers and also, like, suckers. Like, suckers don't get to prosper. Um, Yeah, man. So, money in the bank. Now, they, (laughs) it's no secret that uh, WWE has kind of been on a losing streak at the moment. And creatively at the moment, there are rumors out there for SummerSlam, which haven't really come to fruition yet. But we haven't really got far enough to think about that. I just want to talk about the problem with money in the bank bills in general. So, it's similar to the Elimination Chamber, where you have one big, you know, gimmick match and so many people to get in them that unless you have like a a cooked up rivalry to shove in it, like a Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose in 2014 or like a, um, like Cody Rhodes, like kind of breaking out some type of weird, like story, you know, breaking out in the match. It's just a bunch of dudes going in there with ladders. All these matches kind of end up the same. A ladder match is a ladder match at this point. Money in the bank. The concept isn't the newest thing in the world. And what happens is on the television leading up to it, once the guys are locked in stone, right, you're going to see a lot of tag team matches. You're going to see a lot of matches that don't like necessarily that wouldn't be done. Like we had Charlotte versus Becky on TV this week. Normally that's pay-per-view match. Now, we got that because they're both in the match and they need to, like, start interacting with each other. So, they get forced into a bunch of multi-man matches that don't end up really mattering and everything like that. So, with Money in the Bank, this happens every single year. And I started noticing this, like, around 2015, like, leading up to Money in the Bank, you really can't really get locked in WWE yet. And... With WrestleMania this year, and then they had the Greatest Royal Rumble and Backlash, they really need Money in the Bank to be great. And with Money in the Bank now, it has like AJ Styles and Nakamura on top in a last man standing match for whatever godforsaken reason. They have gone the route of taking a match that everyone wanted to see in AJ Nakamura and putting the weirdest gimmick possible on it. Because when... I think of AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura. I don't think of them clubbing each other with weapons. I just don't. Especially with AJ being, you know, the peak of athletic excellence at the moment in WWE, or one of them at least. Nakamura being such a phenomenal, you know, striker and pro wrestler. Giving them those gimmicks. This, These aren't guys that are, you know, in their late 40s. These are guys that are, you know, right at the tail end of their primes. Maybe still in their primes. And... 
I don't know, man. It's not an exciting match, especially with what they've done to get here. They've blown through fuck finish after fuck finish after fuck finish to get to this point. And it's like, wow, this is what y'all really planned. So we're here now. Um, and I think on the women's side, we've got Lana in a Money in the Bank match. Now, is there anything wrong with Lana like as, you know, getting a chance to show what she can do? No, there's not a problem with that. But the thing is, it's like they every year they kind of put someone in the ladder match that you don't exactly know why they're there. Um, so either it can be one of two things, a shock win or they're in there so you can they can just be hidden from everyone. And that also works in like the elimination chamber. Like this year, like Elias was in there to be hidden from everybody. So what they did was had the entire match and put him in at like number six. And then he came in and he immediately just got, you know, demolished or whatever. So, and it's like, you want to kind of create that association that they are that caliber of star. And maybe, maybe doing that same thing with Lana here, but it's a ladder match. Like we're not <laughs> like safety. Like, like I hope no one gets hurt there. Um, Let's see. Punk versus Omega or Jericho in New Japan. Little bit different. Little bit different, Miguel. So, Punk and Omega, right? The first match was the blood the, the blood match. Like, you wanted to see them kill each other, like, right off rip. Here is, like, they, like, sold us a bill of goods and then turned it into something else with, like, their weird, you know, storytelling. And they don't need that thing, you know. And the thing is, with Punk and Jericho, they were going to get 35 minutes to do their thing. They're not going to get 35 minutes on these WWE shows, no matter how many, like, four-hour shows that they're about to start doing. They're not giving those guys 35 minutes. So, with them giving those those 35 minutes i feel like omega and jericho really got to have that match in you know three or four parts so there could be the crazy brawling sequence there could be the the wrestling sequence wwe last man standing matches are typically about brawling around the arena um you know offense that has to do with the environment such as tables steel steps or even the uh, you know, when you're on the side of the stage, like throwing guys into the pyro thing, like that's, I don't need to see a, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, AJ Styles flying into the pyro. Um, yeah, man. Omar says the Styles Nakamura feud is so messy that I don't even want Nakamura as champion, which is like nuts to kind of think about in, in one retrospect. So, uh, Miguel said in the comments, we're getting Roman versus Jinder at Raw tomorrow night. I did see that, um, announced now why this is happening no idea i have a you know a, a slight speculation of, of why that could be now this match <laughs> let's look at where it was booked you know it's pay-per-view match in chicago obviously um the cm punk thing is really you know heavy and uh, you know cm punk roman reigns that whole thing goes it's roman reigns and general hall no one wants to see that shit anyway and I don't know if this is a case where WWE is going to do the match on the pay-per-view as well as TV, or if they're just moving it up from the pay-per-view because they're like, we can't go into, um, you know, with everything that's happened outside of wrestling. And then obviously what's going to happen with NXT, um, they can't put Roman Reigns in that situation, a no-win situation, uh, I might add, in Chicago against a guy who most people think is a bum, who he's probably going to beat anyway. Because think about it, Roman Reigns. You can't beat Roman Reigns with Jinder Mahal, right? Beating Jinder Mahal with Roman Reigns gives him no type of 
credibility or anything like that because like most people think he's a bum then the crowd reaction we don't know what the fuck's gonna happen with all that so in my opinion they need this is a great decision by wwe putting it on tv admitting defeat like hey there was no way we should have done this this is a tv program and then find something else for roman to do at the pay-per-view whether it's calling up brock whether it's um you know having him uh play a part in the finish of a money in the bank match something uh but roman reigns versus general hall in chicago hopefully that is canceled (laughs) um yeah from there um the last thing that i really want to get (laughs) to um today and actually i got a couple uh questions from you guys i actually need to pull up so if you'll bear with me one minute um and if you guys are watching this here on video still uh, make sure you drop me a subscription on my youtube channel uh just type in rich ladder hit me with a subscribe every uh view and subscribe helps uh we're trying to get something new going here and build another community on top of another community with the wrestling square circle so um those of you guys on youtube and everywhere else like that so Let's see what we've got here. I've got some questions that were given to me by some of my homeboys that I kick it with and everything like that. But yeah, man, um, I'm going to stall. So Okada and Omega, like I said, again, like this is match is probably going to get seven stars. Like I'm, I'm not bullshitting. If you have not seen it, please take advantage and do it right now like watch it after this video not not right now but um yeah man so it's it's really interesting so let's go with somebody said put roman ass on a pre-show versus doll fuck them both amazing (laughs) um so let's see question from michael or excuse me uh simon he said people are handling cm punk's loss with kid gloves yes they are um it's okay for somebody to lose and us get these jokes off because why are we here for most times? These jokes. Um, season four of Lucha Underground. I don't watch Lucha Underground, Kyle. So uh, wh- that's why we need you, bro. Um, Simon says, what rivalry in WWE past or present is closest to Omega and Okada? Presently, nothing. Not Nothing close because... It's like, I don't think they're ever going to get the opportunity to wrestle and make the wrestling, the blow-away aspect of it. They're not going to get the chance to do that in WWE nowadays. And it's unfortunate because, like on the main roster, I might add. NXT is something completely different. On the main roster, they're more interested in other stuff. So they're just not going to get to do that. And they want to swerve you so much and do all types of fuckery that the wrestling will be of a secondary nature. A few that could have been, you know, Okada and Omega level, obviously in the 90s, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. It could have been that. They did their hour match. They've had legendary brawls. They've had the story that was so real that it wasn't that it was so the only thing is if they could have wrestled each other more i don't know if we could have got what okada and omega was athletically as well as like 
just spectacular wise, but they definitely would have been up to the challenge because Bret Hart uh, would have been like the incumbent essentially, and Shawn Michaels would have been like the spectacular showman like Omega, and they could have figured it out. But their egos and also them both being babyfaces at the time, it didn't quite connect. As I feel like with Okada and Omega, the reaction to them both have shifted over time. In the first match, Kenny Omega is like a heel gaijin, you know, dude that they're trying to you know shoot up the ranks by this time at the end of this match the crowd in osaka was cheering for kenny omega they were wanting to see this guy climb the mountain they were wanting to see okada uh, the legend most legendary champion in new japan history right now come off the belt for this guy for a dude that's not from there for a dude that went to japan and beat the guy in his country and and got cheered over him this the closest thing it could have been was Brett and Sean, but their egos would never allow them to work with each other the way that Okada and Omega has. And as I said, currently, not nothing, nothing in WWE could, could be this right now. Um, Cool thing I, uh, they alluded to, and I'm glad you mentioned this, Kyle. He said, All In, the growth of New Japan, and interest for All In, yet Ring of Honor is still stagnant as fuck. Like I said, I you know, if you look around on that Ring of Honor card, how many guys are you actually willing to go see? That's something to think about. Um, I think, you know, looks like we got a message from James. Undertaker and Michaels is WWE's Okada and Omega. They had three matches. You could say they had... Actually, they had four matches. They had the casket match. They had the Hell in a Cell. WrestleMania 25 and 26. You could say that. The only thing I would push back on that is these are two guys square in the middle of their prime. This isn't two legends going out there, going to get it done, and putting together everything they know. We don't know if Okada and Omega are exactly who they're going to be yet. Uh, These guys are square in the middle of of authoring this directly in the middle of their prime. So maybe that's the only thing there. And while Undertaker Michaels was guys that are towards the end that were just like, yo, we're the last outlaws doing this shit. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I think that might be a, a decent enough suggestion like Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, but he's, um, let's see. Oh, as I was mentioning, cool thing. Don Callis will be on the sticks for all in. And I say on the sticks, it's going to be broadcast. So we're all going to get to see all in and all is glory. Um, one thing I forgot to mention uh, that I got goosebumps over when I was watching dominion Ray Mysterio came out with a lion Mark mask. If you guys haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, Dan Coffin says, how excited should we be for the WWE UK tournament? I don't know. Um, <laughs> if you want the answer to that question, check out the Ricky and Clive show because they did a great preview of it um, the other week. So I don't really know too much about it. I'm just going to tune in and, and see what happens. But yeah, man, this is, um, you know, such a historic show like Dominion. I'm kind of like back on that now. And I can only recommend it like to the highest, highest degree. Um, from there, we've got one more thing to talk about. I almost totally forgot. Shawn Michaels. Now, it's strange because I brought him up earlier when I was talking about, you know, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. 
it recently came out that Shawn Michaels would be interested in doing another match. Um, if the, you know, the right opponent came along, the right story and all that. Um, Shawn Michaels is now 52 years old, ladies and gentlemen. Shawn Michaels has not wrestled since 2010. Shawn Michaels is also in the greatest shape that I've ever seen him in right now. So do I think Shawn Michaels can wrestle right now? Sure. Now, he wanted to kind of handicap the thing and say, you know, I'm 52 years old and I'm not Mr. WrestleMania anymore. Does anybody believe him? Anyone? I don't. Now, Shawn Michaels, does he need to return? I can take it or leave it. Uh, Shawn Michaels got the short hair now, and that's not Shawn Michaels I know. So I don't, <laughs> I'm not really um, coming out here w- with that. So uh, let's ask, find his actual comments. I don't want to misrepresent the guy. So he said, it is a young man's game. He said, I'm always humbled and very flattered that the fact that after all these years, people still believe in my ability enough to, to still do it. Michael said, look, there's a part of me that knows I could, but at the same time, it's a young man's game, and I love that the future of the WWE is in such good, capable hands. It's a pleasure for me to watch it go forward. As much as it would be enjoyable to wrestle, I'm more interested in seeing these young men take WWE into the future. And you know the wrestling business is going to evolve, Michael said. I can remember people seeing my style and thinking it was too fast, too crazy, and it's nothing compared to what these guys are doing. I honestly, you know, I enjoy embracing that change. Shout out to Sean for knowing what it is. And he says, I got to be honest with you. The interesting thing to me is the involvement of social media. I just don't know how well I would have adjusted to that, being able to step in and out of television and reality. Could you imagine people um, like Shawn Michaels losing his smile on Twitter right now? Oh, my God. People would have went in on Sean and called him all type of bitches and suckers and lames and and everything else. They would have went in on this dude and he would have lost his mind. Like Sean might would have been reacting just like Kevin Durant, how he does and he wants to fight fans. That that would have been Sean Michaels uh, back in 1997, 1998, and I damn sure wouldn't have wanted to give uh, 1997 Sean Michaels no Twitter account. Fuck no. Um, <laughs> but if Sean comes back, like that's on him to do it. Um, it's not a situation that I'm like anticipating necessarily wanting to see or begging to see if it happens. Cool. Hopefully the opponent um, is good. Hopefully the situation doesn't really like, you know, move someone out the way. Um, hopefully he's not like wrestling for the championship or something. Like if they were getting like Shawn Michaels versus Tommaso Ciampa, like <laughs> if they were getting Shawn Michaels versus Samoa Joe, if they were getting uh, Shawn Michaels versus Dan Bryan, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, even Kevin Owens, I think you can do something with that. But if Shawn wants to do it, you know he's he's you know the best that's ever been in WWE. So he can do you know whatever he wants. So um, it's not a situation where like we've never seen Shawn Michaels be washed up. So this is a, a scenario where if Sean came out here and he was washed, I think people would let him know. Um, also, I don't think it's similar to Undertaker at all, who Undertaker just looks worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, and, you know, you look at guys like Liger who are still good. Jericho is still good right now. If you're still good and you're older and a part-timer, 
that's great. Like, I have no issue with that. It's when you're no longer good and you're a part-timer and you're just showing up. That's where we got the issues. But, um, yeah, that's going to wrap up the show. Um, Thank you guys for checking in with your comments, with um, your stories and everything for me in the comment section, adding to the jokes. Make sure you guys drop me a subscription here. Check out Dominion. Make sure you check out some of the music. I have an album on iTunes, uh, Tidal, Spotify, wherever you get your music. You can type in Rich Latta. You'll see my album, Family Music Life, come out, and um, you will be able to take a look and listen to it. So, um, let's see. Let me look at a couple of these comments. Miguel says, no, no, no. Stay away, Sean. He's, sh- he's talking more about NXT, not the main roster, folks. Omar says, Mike was at the point where he can only have a good match with a safe, young, good hand. Not Seth Rollins. Only say <clears throat> Daniel Bryan or Kevin Owens. Um, EC3 versus Cena in NXT is a potential thing. I would like to see Cena go to NXT. If there was someone that you know I wanted to see Cena run it with, like I said, Ch- Chamba's great against anybody because he's such a fucker and, like, hated guy. It'll work against, against anybody. Uh, I think he can get John Cena cheered. Um, Velveteen, EC3 maybe. Yeah, I, I could see that. Uh, let me see. He said, Michaels and Brett is much closer to Omega and Okada than Austin Rock ever could be. And Omar said that was a fast 50 minutes. So, um, that, thank you. I, I'll say that as a compliment. But um, that's going to wrap the show up. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Make sure you check out all the other shows, um, the Wrestling Watch with Caleb Baldwin or the Impact Report, whatever he's calling it now, uh, the Outsider's Edge with Rance and Carl, the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Podcast, Keeping It Strong Style with Jeremy and Josh, and Grown Men Watch This Shit with Chris and Jeremy Tate, who had Jonah Rock on their show this week. You guys might want to check that out. Um, my boy Josh described this to me as, imagine if we had an interview with Walter a year ago that's jonah rock right now so you guys might want to check that out um i heard enzo mori dropped another rap song i haven't heard it yet i'll probably make a reaction video so stay tuned for that uh i'm sure all types of fuckery will ensue uh when enzo mori is on the microphone so this is rich i am up out of here peace thank you for listening to one nation radio we'll see you next time